Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Thanks, guys. So if you can keep that passage open, that would be really helpful. We're mainly talking about just verse 16. Um, And let me just explain it. If you're not used to being at church, uh, we believe that God speaks through this book. um, And God speaks as that book is explained. So what we're doing for the next 15 minutes is we're seeking to explain that verse so that we can understand it. And I'm going to attempt to explain that so that if you're a young person from the Fusion Club this week, you can understand it, as well as all of us adults here as well. Uh, Let me pray, and then um, we'll get into that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you love Uh, the world, and that world includes us. Please help us to know that and respond to that, we pray. Amen. Now, boys and girls, uh, there is a sheet for you to follow if you're uh, one of the Fusion or JF. Um, But boys and girls, how do you know that you're loved? Well, it's a question that comes up quite a lot in pop music. If you were around in 1984, Foreigner said, I want to know what love is. If you were around in 1967, the Beatles told us that love was all we needed. If you were around in 1978, John Paul Young said, love is in the air. And if you were around in 1995, 
Wet, wet, wet taught us that love is all around us, apparently. You might not have been alive at any of those points, kids. But this year, Callum Scott released this song, You Are The Reason. Have you heard it? He said this, I'd climb every mountain and swim every ocean just to be with you and fix what I've broken. Oh, because I need you to see that you are the reason. There my hand goes shaking and you are the reason. My body keeps bleeding. I need you to know if I could turn back the clock, I'd make sure the light defeated the dark. I'd spend every hour of every day keeping you safe. Joanna prefers that I read poetry to her rather than sing it. If you've heard me sing, you'll know why. You have to say that they're beautiful words. But of course, you you probably know they come from a man who's powerless to deliver on them. And the more you look for love in a pop song, the more it leaves us with the idea of love without actually knowing it. So we live in a world with the idea of love, but can we find love? Or are we in a world where we can find love if we just look in the right place? And and this is why so many people have connected with this verse from the Bible. You might have seen it painted on bridges. You might have seen it posted across the internet. You might have seen it plastered on people. It says... Love is knowable. It says love is displayed in history. It says that love is open to all. So you can walk away today and know what love is. And you can know beyond doubt that you are loved. And it says to know that you have to start with God. You see, the the verse that we're looking at today comes in the middle of a conversation. And it's a conversation between a religious Jew named Nicodemus and Jesus. And the conversation starts there at verse 1, which is why our reading started at verse 1. And it ends, we think, at verse 15. It's most probable that verses 16 to 20 are a comment written by the writer of the book, a man called John. And he's seeking there to explain what Jesus meant in verses 14 and 15. Why am I telling you all that? Well, I'm telling you that to say that the three people I've just mentioned, Nicodemus, Jesus and John, all presume the existence of God. They argue from a position of God's existence, not to it or for it. Our culture is slightly different. Uh, growing up now in, in 2018, our culture is different. Our culture might say, whoa, hold on a minute. There's a big step there. Slow down. What, what or who is God? I just want to say, yes, we can start there. I'm quite happy to chat to you at the end, starting from that point. But it's just worth acknowledging that that's not where John starts. The first thing we need to do is declare our start point. So I'm declaring our start point. We're starting with God. Let me put it this way. I'm married to Joanna. She was away at camp this week. Imagine I met you on Monday at the club and I said, hello, my name is Gareth. I'm married to Joanna, but I'm afraid she's away this week. She gets back Friday. You would have to decide, are you going to believe me 
or not. You see, everything from that point will be filtered through that grid. You'll be testing my theory and fitting it to your idea. I mean, if I say, yes, I'm doing a lot to prepare for Joanna coming home, and you don't believe Joanna exists, you're going to think, lunatic. Here is a man preparing for a wife that doesn't exist to come back at a time where she won't come. But of course, if you trust me, the evidence that you see in my life will, will hopefully fit with what I've told you. You can still test the evidence, but you either start with a point where you believe me or, or not. And then you have to work out if the evidence clashes with the reality that you know, or if it fits with the reality that you know. Let me just say, we all start somewhere. Are you aware of where you start? Will you be willing to go further than that? Will you be willing to allow yourself to look at the evidence from the start point that God does exist? That will then allow you to see that, as the Bible says, that God shows himself in history. It will allow you to see God's actions in history and therefore God's motive fueled by love. And it will allow you to see that that's as relevant today as it ever was. You see, its relevance is all tied up in that the God's actions are motivated by his love. Because the thing we need to know about God is that he loves. You see, love according to the Bible, is an action, not primarily a feeling. You see, look at Rob and Helena. You see the love they have for Benjamin and Amelia because it's shown in what they do. The closer you get to them, the more of this you see and the more wonderful it is. You see, this is wonderful news. Love is definable. Love is measured by the nature of the action. You see, again, if I make lots of preparation for Joanna coming home at the weekend, you can see, you can measure the extent of my love. By the way, I'm slightly humbled by my lack of preparation for Joanna coming home on Friday, but I was a bit busy. You see, kids, you teach us this truth, and you teach us it every birthday and every Christmas. It's wonderful, unless you get it wrong. You see, the kid that opens the pair of second-hand socks can't help but show his disappointment oh, as they toss it to one side. But the kid that opens the enormous tub of Haribo can't help but express their delight. And this week at Fusion Club, we've been looking at the story of the Bible, and we've seen that God is faithful to his promises. Let me just show you that over here. These five stories that we've looked at show God's faithfulness. You see, God promised to save anyone that would listen to him. In the ark, God loves, so he warns. God loves, so he saves. We see it with the exodus here. We see him saving people from slavery in the Exodus. He saves through the ten plagues and he saves through the miracle of the Red Sea parting. God generously provided a mighty king to slay the mighty Goliath and to win a famous victory that the rest of the nation benefited from. 
God saved his servant Daniel when he was falsely accused in a foreign nation. And just as he saved Daniel, so he went on to save his people that were in, um, in exile. And, but where is God's greatest sign of love? Well, we have it here before us in John 3.16, or we have it here symbolized in a cross and a crown of thorns. You see, the greater the gift, the greater the act of love. And this verse tells us that God gave his one and only son. You see the size of the love the father has by seeing the, the value of the son. Come with me to Colossians 1, 15 to 23, to see the value of the one given. It's on the screen behind me if you're struggling to find Colossians 1. You see, let, let me just read verses 15 to 23. The Son, this is Jesus that Paul's talking about here in Colossians, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he's reconciled you through Christ's physical body, through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You see, Paul says in verse 15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There's one God, three persons, and only one is visible. It was that one, God in the flesh, that was given. Now, apparently, if the Mona Lisa was sold today, it would go for around 500 million pounds. There's only one real Mona Lisa. It's a famous painting by a famous artist, Leonardo da Vinci, and it's 500 million pounds worth. But how much more valuable is the one-off Son of God? Look at verse 16. Paul says that in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And verse 16 says, in him all things hold together. Well, how much do people value power? question in the news this week has been how much did Donald Trump value power and did he break the rules to get it? 
Well, power is valuable. But how valuable is power? Well, this one, the Lord Jesus, holds all things together. And he gave up that power to rescue people because his love was stronger than the loss. Now, this is where I need somebody to come and help me. It would help if it's a child. They need to be slightly brave, but also like sweet. I'm looking for a volunteer at this point. I would have thought that would do it, my bribery with sweet. Um, No, I can move the age bracket. Oh, I can't choose my own son. Um, That would just be wrong. Although I can verify he likes sweets. Uh, Would maybe a medium-aged person could... Is Sam up for it? Oh. Okay, I'm going to ask Dan to come up then. Dan, you're medium-aged. You can come up. And I just hope this goes well. I've got three presents here, Dan. It's a very simple game. Okay, you've got to hold up the present. You've got to unwrap the present. And then I'll tell you what to do from there. Okay, this is present number one. Just unwrap it. Everyone's on the edge of their seat, Dan. It's just marvellous. What's in there, Dan? A plastic bag. If you say, do you want those sweets, dear? Uh, yeah. Yeah, great. Now, you can have those sweets, uh, but unwrap this first. Just pop those down. Unwrap this first. See, when Dan unwraps this, he, he has to make a choice. He can either keep the present that he's got, or if he thinks his original present is more valuable, he can keep that one. So what's that, Dan? That is a lot of sweets. That's quite a few sweets. All right, so you can either keep this because that's more valuable, or you can have that because that's more valuable. Which one? You're going with that. Okay. You can keep that if, if you think it's better than this. There you go. Present, Present number three. What's in there, Dan? He's smiling. That's an even bigger packet of sweets. Now, You can have those, but you've got to say no to that. What are you going for? He's taking the sweets. Give him a round of applause. Kids, you might want to go and see Dan at the end of the service. Or you can come and see me um, because they've got to go somewhere. Now, that's just a, a very easy illustration to show that it's not a problem for Dan to choose the more valuable, is it? If you have one present, but you think the second is more valuable, it's easy to discard the first if you consider the second more valuable. Well, I've told you that God's love is demonstrated by his action. And his action is a choice. It's a choice to to give up, to gain. This giving is shown most starkly at the cross. It's the center point of the mission of the Son. It's the center point of history. It's the center point of the Bible. And it's the center point of faith. The cross is a swap. Jesus' perfect life is extinguished. So that he can have you. His perfection can swap with our sin by faith. It's a sign of astounding love. 
And when you look at what he gave, it's staggering. Because the value of the son is astounding. Now we've seen what he gave up, but, and we've seen that it's valuable. But the question is, what does he gain? Well, he gains you. If you'll have him. Look back at John 3, verse 16. You see, we've seen that the love of God is great, but what's its application? Where is it pointing? Who is it that God loves, and what should we do? And this verse tells us that God so loved the world. Well, the world is a word for rebellious people who've turned their backs on God and lived as if he doesn't exist. As we saw this week in the club, the story of the Bible starts with a loving creator that made all things well. But it quickly turns for the worst as the people that he has made say no to his rule and keep living their own way. The Bible's word for this is sin. Or as we said it this week, shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your rule. Shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your rule. It makes sense of the world we experience. It's why families find it hard to agree. It's why we need to lock car doors and house doors. It's why, although we can see some things work well, there's generally a sense that everything should be better than it is. But it's to this rebellious, broken world that God directs his love. Somewhere in this broken and rebellious world is you. And somewhere it's me. And God directs his love to us. Remember, it's his very very best that he gives. You might not have asked to be loved, but we must admit his love comes with a high value, and it demands a response, as all love does. Notice, God doesn't wait for us to be good enough to love and then notice us. He notices us when we most need his love when we've turned away from him, when we've messed things up. And it's love that demands a response. Look at it in verse 16, that whoever believes in him, there's no precondition. You don't need to make yourself lovable and then wait to see if it works. It's open to all. This verse says, whoever. But what does anyone have to do? Well, this verse says, whoever believes And belief is shown in action. Just as God's love is shown in what he does, so trust in him is shown in what we do. God loves and gives, we receive and hold. Dan's acceptance of the gift of sweets is shown in the fact that he took them back to his seat. Had he chucked them behind him, would have been a rejection of the gift. Faith is saying yes. Faith is holding on to the gift of Jesus and saying that that's better than anything else in this life. And there's three ways to do that. You can enjoy it. You can grow in your appreciation of this gift. You can read about it, talk about it. It really is the gift that keeps giving because it grows the more you get to know the scale of the gift. You can also replace other foundations of your life to live on this one. The the life of faith will be a growing faith. 
As our wonder at the gift increases, so does our dependence on the gift. And you can share it. Whoever believes, it's not exclusive, but it's inclusive. It's for everybody. Someone who really loves a present shares the present. Don't forget that, Dan. And lastly, let's just look at the consequences. Do you see that at the end of the verse? That there are two consequences in John three sixteen. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The two consequences are perish or have eternal life. Let, let's look at that word perish first. That's our natural default setting. If we do nothing else, we perish. And the word hides a little bit of that consequence. But think of times that we use the word perish. I'm going to read to you an extract from an encyclopedia entry on the Titanic. And it's particularly talking about the crew members on the Titanic. Of the 899 crew who sailed on the ship, 686 perished. A death rate of 76%, worse than any class of passengers, even steerage. These truly are the forgotten victims of the Titanic. Hundreds of husbands, brothers, fathers, sons, sweethearts, reduced by history, as they are by any film of the sinking, to mere anonymous extras. The little people, just so many figures, making up the crowd in that night's panorama of desperation. It's even more than that, though. People who perish, you see, will bear their guilt before a perfect God. So what's the alternative? Well, there's only one alternative. Eternal life. The gift that God gives of his son has a purpose. It has an end. The end is life. Just as life was the start of the Bible story with creation, so it will be the end of the Bible story with eternal life in his presence for those who put their trust in him. What's the best gift you've ever been given? Well, when I was 17, I wasn't always easy to live with. You see, at that age, you push against your parents sometimes. And at the same time, you you fear if you're loved or not. You know your parents feed you and look after you, but do they really love you? And so you're pushing on one hand and you're needing on the other. And both happen at the same time. You push against them and yet you need assurance. Well, I came home one day from school. It was around Christmas time. And I was led into the garage where I was shown a little blue mini. Now... I was absolutely blown away. I was blown away because of the value of the gift, which I knew was jolly expensive. I was blown away because I was undeserving of the gift. I'd been pushing against them. And yet I was blown away because in giving a gift of so much value, they showed what I doubted, which was that they loved me. Now, a mini's not much compared to the value that God shows in giving his son to us. I said that love is displayed in history. Have you seen 
that that point in history is the cross. It says it's open to all, open because of the cross. You can walk away today and know what love is. It looks like God giving his most valuable for you. You can measure the value of the son. And you can show that he was given for you. And you can know beyond doubt that you are loved. The certainty is on display at the cross. So, have you said yes Have you said yes to that love that God gives? Well, if you have, live out that love and tell as many people as you can. That's why we put the club on this week. That's the job of Rob and Helena, giving themselves to raising Benjamin and Amelia. It's to put that love on display in a family and to point not to themselves, but to Jesus as the source of love and the measure of love. Consider saying yes to that love today. Now you can do that in your seat. You can do that by coming chatting to me at the end. You might want to just tell me if you've come for the sweets or if you've come to accept the Lord Jesus. That would be helpful. Don't want to mix those two up. But seriously, don't leave here today unless you're sure if you've said yes to God's love or not. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you that although we are frail and fragile, we know what it is to be broken. We know what it is to fear that we are not loved. Thank you that love is knowable. It's knowable because the Lord Jesus came to earth. It's knowable because the Lord Jesus, the most valuable person that has ever lived, gave up himself to die on a cross. And that was done for us. So, Father, thank you for your love to us. We do pray for all those parents that put that love on display in their families. Father, help us to love because you first loved us. But to those that don't yet know this love, Father, please, would today be a day where someone accepts your love for the first time. And thank you uh, that we can know this for certain. Please help us to live out of this love, we pray. Amen.